So good to be with you today, and if you're new here, my name's Ann, I'm one of the pastors here at Evergreen, and it's my privilege actually to get to talk about this second week of adventure, and we're looking at God's peace this morning. Well, um, I want to make sure that you know before we begin, though, you are loved. If you haven't heard that today, if you haven't heard the Lord say that today, or maybe you just have been so busy this morning, um, you know, all the people you love have all... I've been running around each other, but not saying that. But you are loved this morning, and it's in that environment that we take the adventure with Jesus, because all of Christmas is steeped in his love. It's all about that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that he let him come, leave heaven, come on earth, and show us what God looked like. And he did that because he loved us today. And I guess we just want to make sure that every week we're remembering that, that his love is underneath everything. About Christmas. So a few years ago, I had a grandparent fail. Some of you are saying, grandparent fail? I didn't know that was a thing. I mean, you know, parent fails, those are common. We've all had those. But grandparents, I mean, how hard can it be? But uh, I can manage to do that. Um, My oldest granddaughter, Katie, um, was five years old. It was her fifth birthday, and we had a party store by us, and I thought, I'm going to get her a really cool candle for a cake. And it was a five, the number five, sparkler candle. It was gold. It was really cool looking. And I just thought, this would be so great. So we put it in, and then this is how it started. Okay, that's how she looked. Does she look happy? No. No, not if you know her. That was the start, and it went downhill from there. Because before that candle got, it got wilder and wilder. The sparks got bigger and bigger as it moved down the five. And she got up from the table and started crying, burst into tears. It It was such a success. But I did not, my surprise did not bring peace to my granddaughter. In fact, it did quite the opposite. See if you can't relate to some of these antonyms for peace, some of these opposites, agitation, alarm, anxiousness, apprehensiveness, worry, uneasiness. These are just some of the opposites of peace. And yes, that perfectly describes what I did to my sweet little granddaughter, Katie, that day at my hands. But how many of you are with me and that you'd say that this past week, and I want a show of hands. How many of you this past week experienced a time where that wasn't peaceful, that could be described by any of those antonyms, anxiousness, unease? Yeah, yeah, most of us have. You know, maybe it was a bill you received in the mail, and you looked at your checkbook or your bank account, and you said, you know, how am I going to meet this? How am I going to pay this? Jared and I had one of those moments when we moved to L.A. and got our first water bill, which he's mentioned that a time or two, but I have the real story because I got the bill. And I opened that bill, and it was $1,237, and it was on his birthday, September 15th. I remembered quite well because I determined that this was not a birthday bill. This was a bill that you hide for a day, and then you pull it out. And that is what I did. I did not show him that day, because the first words out of my mouth when I looked at that $1,237 was, we can't afford to live here. Nobody was around, fortunately, none of our kids or anything, but I was like, what are we going to do if this is what things cost around here? This is crazy. So maybe you've had that kind of experience this past week, or maybe you're in search of a place to rent here in the Hillsborough area, and you just can't seem to find something that fits the budget that you really have, and your budget, you've squeezed every dollar out of it that you could for housing. And that's a real thing, friends. That's what some of our young people are going through right now. 
and some of our older people, but a lot of our young people are going through a real housing shortage because rents around here are so high. That can really create some stress for us, some anxiety. And then it might be that you're facing college finals because this is the week for college finals. We just passed dead week, and now we're, they're facing you. Already you feel your hands are sweaty just thinking about them much less your mind looping through. I wonder what the test will be like. I'm not very good at that kind. I hope it's multiple choice. I mean, if you're saying that's what you pick, right? But all this to say, these college finals can create that kind of anxiety. Maybe for you, though, it's thinking about your family Christmas gathering because you've already been making some arrangements. See, I'm kind of like one of the planners in my family, so I end up thinking about it in advance, but I think a lot of us do. And those family gatherings aren't Hallmark, folks. They're just not, you know. We're a lot messier than that. <laughs> Happy for you if yours is Hallmark, but, you know, ours is not. That might be a little fake, okay? But that might be the thing that gets you. Or maybe today you're like one of our evergreen families whose five-year-old son is in St. Vincent's with pneumonia in both lungs and on oxygen. That we're praying for him. And mom and dad feel a tad bit worried. They want his progress to be faster, right? Like any good parent, it can't be quick enough, the recovery. You know, these are the things in our lives that crowd out God's peace, these very things. And I want to tell you about a guy who had a security blanket. His name is Linus. You know who Linus is? He's the kid on Peanuts Gang, okay, Charles Schultz Carmack Strip, who carries around a security blanket wherever he goes. And the whole gang, at some point or another, and on numerous occasions, have tried to convince him to get rid of the blanket. And he won't do it. But one day, they ask him, what is Christmas all about? Charlie Brown's just frustrated, feeling like his Christmas celebration's a failure. You've seen Charlie Brown's Christmas, some of you. And he asks, what's Christmas all about anyway? And Linus says, I know what it is. I can tell you what it's about. And he goes out on the stage and take a look and see what happens. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Did you notice what happened for Linus? What did he let go of? As he tells the story of Jesus' birth, he lets go of this security blanket, this one that no friend has ever been able to separate him from. And 
he had encountered and was talking about Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the one who's called that in his very first birth announcement, which actually happened hundreds of years before his birth. Jesus is the only person who had one of those. It's in Isaiah verse, chapter 9, verse 6. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this Prince of Peace title is not just a royal title given to Jesus. It is who he is. It's an identity statement about him. And it, this Prince of Peace, peace is that Hebrew word for shalom that we've talked about before, but it bears repeating. It means well-being in all aspects of life, mentally, emotionally, physically, and of course, spiritually. And that's why the message paraphrase aptly changes the title from Prince of Peace to Prince of Wholeness. When it, in its translation. And this New Testament word for peace, which we're looking at today, is very similar, Irene. It's closely related to shalom because it is about God's peace that's 360 degrees in our lives. It's in our emotions physically, it's in mentally, and it is spiritually. But it also addresses harmony in all our relationships, safety, the feeling of being safe, security like Linus wanted, and rest in all of our relationships, including and beginning with God. And this is the big idea today, is that God wants us to be at peace. And if you ever wondered, is it God's will for me to be at peace? Of course it is. When you're in the middle of your disappointment, your worry, your anxiety, it is God's will to bring you to a place of peace. You can know that. And his peace is our spiritual GPS. And our gratitude is the welcome mat for his peace. Today, I want to take a look with you, not at a big theological concept of peace and discussing it up here. I want to talk about an operational concept of peace, how it operates in our lives. You know, like, how does that work, Anne? What does God's peace look like in our lives, and how do we access his peace in our lives? And to do that, I'm going to a very practical piece of scripture out of Colossians. And Paul's just finished a whole paragraph telling the church at Colossae how they can live their faith out like Jesus, how those ideas of love and hope and patience, what that looks like in real life. He tells them to clothe themselves with some things. And at the end of that paragraph, we come to the verse we're going to look at today, one verse, Colossians 3, 15. It says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. That's the verse. I want to talk about three things that that verse tells us about how we operate in God's peace more completely, more frequently, more often than we do. So the first thing is this, that God wants us to be at peace. And this verse says it's more than just him wanting to. It's saying that he has called us to peace. And the word for called here is a very personal word. It is me saying to Erica, Erica, be at peace. Or peace to you, Erica. Laura, peace to you. I know you need it with a newborn. <laughs> Joel, peace to you. So God's talking about his calling. 
Not some other person telling you to buck up and get with it. It's him calling to you, calling by name, and saying, I'm calling you to peace today. So the thing is, that means that it is a part of our identity, that if you've decided to follow Jesus, then you are a member of what he calls his body. All the believers together form Christ's body. And as such, it's part of who we are. We're not just hybrid versions of ourselves, of our old selves when we get saved, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. But when we say yes to Jesus, we become a new creation. That's different than a hybrid, folks. Hybrids are just a little bit different, but have a lot of the same components. And sometimes we feel that way because we look at our lives and we see some of the old still there. But that's not who Jesus says we are. We are the new creation. And this means that we have the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Wholeness living inside of us by the Holy Spirit, by the power of his Spirit. And this is the same peace that the heavenly hosts and the angel announced Jesus' birth to the shepherds with when he said, and on earth, peace on whom his favor rests. This is the same peace that Simeon, standing there with the baby Jesus in his arms, spoke these words to God when he said, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. This is the same peace that Jesus would speak over people when he would forgive them, when he would deliver them, when he would heal them. He'd say, go in peace, calling them to peace. This is the peace that Jesus spoke over his own disciples on many occasions, but particularly in his last 24 hours on earth and in the 40 days that he was on earth after the resurrection and appeared to them. This same word, he said, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Or he said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble. But take courage, I have overcome the world. The same peace. And then Jesus' favorite greeting. He said it at least three times as he encountered them after the resurrection. His first words to them was, Peace be to you. Peace be to you. So today, the first thing that he wants to remind us of is that Jesus, Prince of Wholeness, wants you to be a person of peace. He's called you to that, and he's given you what you need to come to that place in your life. But maybe you're like me, and you ask, yeah, okay, that's good. God's called me to peace. How do I get there? How do I get there when I'm in the middle of an anxious time? How do I get there when I open the bill and I don't think we can afford to live here? How do I get there when my kid is in the hospital struggling with pneumonia? And that's what we want to look at the rest of the verse. It says, let God's peace be your spiritual GPS. Okay, that's my translation right there, my paraphrase. Because what it actually says is, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And a GPS system tells us which way to go, points us in the right direction, leads us to do the next right thing. And so we're saying that God's peace is meant to do that. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It all starts with the very first word, the whole adventure of peace, let. Let, that word that here means to allow something rather than preventing something, to give permission to God's peace, to make opportunity, necessary opportunity for it. And what it's really saying is that you and I get to choose to give permission to God's peace, to make opportunity for the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. 
We get to choose that. We get to choose that. And the word for rule here is only used here in the whole New Testament. And it's a word that initially was related to an umpire, like we have in a baseball game, but an umpire in an athletic contest that calls things either foul, out, or safe. And he's saying you need to let God's peace make the call about what's going on in your life. Make the decision of your next right step. Help you see what you need to focus on or not focus on about what's going on. To allow the Lord's peace to rule is to pay attention to him in the middle of our anxiety, in the middle of that worried moment, in the middle of that sitting at the hospital with our child. It's to pay attention to what's going on in here and in here with him. What's he saying? Where is his peace taking me? And to refuse to go in any direction without his peace directing you first, without him, not getting ahead of him and not going off on our own way because we want to. Paul modeled this in his own life. He is He let God's peace make decisions in his life. He paid attention to what he was experiencing, enough to even write about it on occasion. I want to read to you just one passage that maybe you've read many times if you've ever read the book of 2 Corinthians. So the church at Corinth, he told them this, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. That's a pretty amazing thing, actually, if you break it down. Because what he's telling us is that God was in this. He was working. I had an open door to preach the gospel. The people here at Troas are very receptive to it. But, but what was the but? I had no peace of mind because I could not find my brother Titus. So I went left there and went to Macedonia. See, Paul chose to let God's peace decide what he should do, even when things were going well. Because he had this lack of peace, and he paid attention to it. When we have a lack of peace, a lot of times Christians feel bad about feeling bad. Because you can't explain it. Sometimes God's peace, or lack thereof, you can't explain to people, well, no, I just felt like I shouldn't do that. Right? Does that sound lame? When you share that with a friend? Sometimes it can but we get to choose to let God's peace make the call in our life. So Jared and I were, have been looking for a new home, and we were set on it being in the Aranko neighborhood. And that was it. I mean, that was with tight boundaries. It was going to be in Aranko or Aranko Gardens, somewhere around the neighborhood we've been in. We liked being close to the 26. We were in no way going to do South Hillsboro. Um, not because there's anything wrong with South Hillsboro, but we just had our favorite place picked out. And we thought we knew what we needed and we wanted. So we gave our realtor the boundary, and he tried to nudge us a little bit on those, like get us to look outside. And, um, but we said no, and he honored that. He took us. The first three places were all in our boundaries. And the third house that he took us to in Aranko was the exact floor plan we pointed out to him would work because there's a lot of copycat houses in there. And we'd found this one floor plan we thought would be great, and he took it. He took us to it, and we saw it. And when we saw it, we knew. No peace. Now, we didn't say anything to him. Because we don't say everything in front of our realtors, okay? You have to have your back room talks. Okay, 
I know there's some realtors sitting out here too. And they're awesome people, but you know, they don't tell us everything either, right? Yeah. We all have our little conversations, but we had this conversation away from our realtor, even he's, he's the one who had nudged us toward this, uh, toward looking elsewhere. But we got home and we talked about it and we recognized, no, we do need to move outside these boundaries. God has, is sending us to a different neighborhood. We better explore what that is. So that changed our direction. God's peace ruled in our decision. And we ended up in South Hillsboro. More about that later. <laughs> okay, so that's the second part, is that God's peace is meant to be a GPS system in our life that helps us take our next right step when we're in the middle of worry, when we're in the middle of a conflict with someone. Let his peace direct Thirdly, gratitude is the welcome mat for God's peace in our lives. Now, you notice this little, almost a postscript, almost a PS, uh, and be thankful at the end of it. Paul likes to do that a lot when he says thankfulness. But it's interesting here because that be is actually become. It should be translated that way, and become thankful. It is not just an afterthought, because that word become has to do with make a habit of your thanks. Make a habit of your gratitude. And our gratitude acts like a welcome mat for God's peace. Now, there's all kinds of welcome mats out there, and I found this one for introverts. Okay, I had to show it. I, I asked my husband about this since he's an introvert. But I also want to make this point that when we are not grateful, this is the kind of welcome mat we've got out to God's peace. Go away. Now, I want to just say why I chose this welcome mat um, metaphor. It's because of this. The, the welcome mat in today's culture is the equivalent of the foot washing in Jesus' culture in the first century. You see, in the first century, where people had open-toed shoes and bare feet all the time, when you showed up at a person's house, you had a foot washing, and that was very practical because your feet were dusty and dirty. Your actual human skin feet. Yeah, not the shoes. Now, we live in this climate where it's messy, there's a lot of rain and that kind of thing. You put out a welcome mat. Why? So that people know we prepared for you. We want you to be able to come in. We want you to be able to get your shoes clean so you can step into our home. We've seen you. We've seen that you're going to come. It's this welcoming thing. And that's what gratitude does with God's peace. That's what Paul's saying here in Colossians 3.15. So, we get to put out the welcome mat for God's peace, whatever our situation is. So gratitude, how does it do that? Because gratitude focuses us on what is right about our situation. It focuses us on what is going well. It focuses us on what we have, not what we don't have, right? Every time you say thanks, you're acknowledging something that's right and pure and lovely and, without, and exceptional, and that focuses us on all the things that are going well, or at least what we're learning in the middle of our difficulty. So becoming thankful helps us experience God's peace in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And we know this also, Paul writes from in the book of Philippians, and these verses are very special here at Evergreen. Jared preached a message a couple years ago, pray, thank, think, do, out of these verses. But listen to these again. In Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Again, that tag on it that Paul loves to put, not 
an afterthought, but central. Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, what's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, the thing about these words, we've talked about what they mean. We've talked about the importance of giving thanks when we make requests and when we're anxious. But here's the deal. Paul wrote these words from a prison in Rome, a prison that historians said could have been called a place of darkness. It was an underground cell block that he would have been in that was dark, that was stinky, that was damp. And Paul spent two imprisonments in this prison in Rome. This was the first while he wrote to the church at Philippi. But there was a second one. And eventually, he was taken outside, three miles outside the city, and beheaded at the whim of Nero, who was persecuting Christians at that time. But we don't know those things because Paul spent all his time talking about the injustices that happened to him or the bad things that were going on in his life. We know that because of historians who recorded those events for us. Instead, what did Paul write about while he was sitting in that dank, dark, smelly prison he wrote about, I rejoice because in my imprisonment, more people have gotten to hear about Christ, including the whole Praetorian Guard, the whole palace guard. And on top of that, all the other Christians out there have heard of what's happening here in prison. And because of me and my boldness, they're becoming courageous and they're willing to share their story of faith in Christ too. And he said, on top of that, there's some people out there preaching about Jesus, and they're not even doing it for the right reasons. But I don't care, just that Christ would be preached. That's pretty amazing, folks. That's what he chose to focus on. Instead of telling us about all the injustices, and there were many he could have written about, and he could have described his circumstances much more completely than he did. But Paul chose to focus on what God was doing in the middle of his difficulties, in the middle of these anxiety-producing circumstances, and he made room for God's peace when he did that. Paul put it quite simply in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks always in every circumstance, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A verse we often repeat, but don't always connect to God's peace. But absolutely, why do you think God would give us something like that? Because he wants us to be at peace, right? He's called us to peace, and he knows how important gratitude is in ushering in, in welcoming in his peace into our lives. So a lot of these things, um, a lot of science is playing catch up with God. What do I mean by that? Well, God's told us all these amazing things that he designed us for, that he wants us to be, like become thankful. And science is discovering how beneficial 
gratitude really is in our lives, right? They're playing catch-up to what God has known all along because science has discovered that being thankful moderates stress by reducing our cortisol levels. And cortisol is that hormone that's released during stress and anxiety. And it reduces anxiety by increasing the engagement of the prefrontal cortex when we're in highly emotional situations. And the tendency would be to go back further in the brain and do a flight or fright. Instead, this engages our prefrontal cortex, the part of us that actually can manage those tough things really well if we'll engage it. Gratitude is what takes us there, folks. And God knew this all along. He designed us this way. So we know what it says about what people say about practice. Practice makes perfect. Okay, and I heard a great one. One of our students came up to me afterwards, and he's an athlete. He said, what we say in practice is practice makes permanent. That's pretty good, too. I'll take that advice from a seventh grader. I thanked him for that. But I want you to know something. Here's a few ideas of ways that you could practice and grow and increase and become the become word, more thankful, as Paul was talking about. Things that I can do with you as well. So one of those is to say thank you for three things or people before your feet hit the floor every morning. Just three things before your feet hit the floor. And I know for some of you moms that are getting up in the middle of the night with your kids, I mean, that's a challenge right there, you know, if it's the first time, you know, kudos to you for that. <laughs> but another thing you could do is to do a gratitude journal. And you can do these online as well. They have apps for them. But I encourage you, if you go hard copy, to leave it sitting out someplace, unless you're showing your house. But leave it sitting out someplace and let everybody write in it every time they go buy it. Just jot one thing they're thankful for. You would be amazed how that changes things. Another one is a gratitude meditation. It's just to add a couple minutes to your devotions that's nothing but a Thanksgiving meditation. Oh, you might turn, you know, to some of the great gratitude psalms. You might just pick up one of the verses out of your reading that day, but take a few minutes to focus on giving thanks. It might be a gratitude jar, and you know, people have those, they stick a bunch of slips of paper next to a jar, and every time you go by the jar, you write on it, and then when you have dinner that night, you can pull out any of those that are in and read them together, whether you have guests or it's just your family, it's a really cool thing to do. Or a gratitude walk because going out in nature confronts us with the amazing creation that God has made. And we begin to think about how amazing it is that we're part of that creation. That we are amazingly made too. Suddenly your mind goes to different places. I'm so thankful. I have two hands that work. I thank you for that orange and every time I peel it, oh, the aroma that's released from it. You see, it's all those little things. It's not big because we know that if we want to have a new habit develop a new habit or strengthen, add to an old habit that we have to take small steps. Find something small that you can't resist doing. And that's what we're suggesting here. And then finally, uh, gratitude notes or letters. There's even been research projects, whole research projects devoted to this, that everybody that was in the non-control, the experiment group, they did um, notes and letters. They had five minutes to do one note or letter to someone. Thank you. And here's the thing. Every single one of them were positively impacted, but so were the people who received those notes or letters. So those are just a few ideas. And then, you know, I had to go there, true confessions. Okay, I'm going to 
bring us to a close here with true confessions. You see, I am a maximizer in Strength Finders 2.0 terms. That's one of, one of my top strengths. I don't know that it's the top, but it's one of them. And what that means is I love to make things better, all kinds of things. So now I'm going to give you their definition of a maximizer. And you, you can smile your way through this. People with the strength of maximizer measure themselves against excellence, not average, At times, excellence is the only measure of success. Anything less is not acceptable. A person with the strength of maximizer looks for excellence in the best around her. She is compelled to discover or maybe uncover excellence and then refine it and apply it. Maximizers tinker to make the best better. Sounds so good, right? Not. Okay, it is a strength, but every strength, and, and Strength Finders 2.0 is not a, um, it's not looking at the character and the development of Christ in our lives and our faith story in the middle of this, but I want to tell you that every strength and every strength on Strength Finders has an underbelly. It has a side where it can interfere with what God wants to do and what God wants for our lives. And for me, the thing is, this maximizer strength can make me focus on what needs to change. Instead of what is, and stopping and being grateful for what God's doing great right here in this moment, and how wonderful this moment is. And I'm a futurist too, so I'm always looking out ahead, so that's a double danger there. Um, and that, that can keep me from expressing the gratitude that I need to express, and being as grateful as I need to be. And so here's how it worked in buying our home. We found a home, we made an offer, and it got accepted, and I immediately began to find things that needed to be changed. Better. Make it better, right? And that had to do, one, this was a brand new home, but all the appliances needed to be changed, according to me. And some of those changes were like from here to here. <laughs> and that, those also had cascading changes, right? You change that, you have to change the cabinet out, you have to do this, the other thing. Now, Jared was such a good sport, he did not criticize me. And he went with me to various appliance stores, even went to some on his own and priced out all these, you know, appliances I thought I had to have. And so I, you know, I always attribute this, God is saving me right with you. You know that, right? Of course, I make that pretty obvious. But I'm saying he's saving me with every word. He is running that through my life. And so that's what happened this last week. On Wednesday, we went for our new home orientation, something this builder requires. So we get there, and they have a welcome home banner across the garage. And we walk in, and there's a red carpet leading up to the door going in the house. They have an apple pie baking in that oven I didn't want. Yeah. And they have installed the free appliances that they also added in the package, a refrigerator and a washer and dryer. And everything's in place. The fireplace is going. It's amazing. Even though I know what they were doing, I thought it was fabulous. I loved every minute of it. I think that environment's so important. So I thought it was really cool. And, but as I got there and, you know, I saw that refrigerator in place and, You know, I looked at that oven with the apple pie baking in it, and, you know, I just had this change of heart. It's like scales stripped away from your eyes, and you do not need anything to be different, to get started here. And, I mean, Jared, he's so nice. Again, 
we didn't talk in front of the guy from the home place, but when we got out and we got in the car and we were driving home, and I, t- I turned to Jared and I said, we don't need anything else. We don't need to look for more appliances. This is wonderful. And the thing is, I had been waking up since I started evaluating the house. I had been waking up early in the morning. That's a bad sign for me because I'm already a morning person. But I've been waking up, and I was worried about those things. I started thinking, is this the right house? You know, if I have to change this and change that and change that. And um, yet every time I would go there, it would seem like, you know, the peace of the Lord was back there. But then it all culminated in this final visit on Wednesday, and I realized I am off base here. I don't have the welcome mat out for God's peace. I need to be grateful. Stop in this moment. Not always think of what, how it could be better. I made opportunity for God's peace to rule in my heart. It felt so good driving home from that house. It was like a load off. Greatly reduced our tasks over the next few weeks as well. (laughs) So remember Linus dropping his security blanket as he tells the story? In the the Charlie Brown's Christmas, you're all going to go watch it now, you will notice that he picks it back up when he goes off stage. But a little later, the whole gang gathers around the Christmas tree, and they all begin to sing, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing, and Linus, before they even begin to sing, takes his security blanket And he places it around the base of the Christmas tree. And they all sing to the newborn king. Linus had discovered the Prince of Peace, that he could be secure without his blanket. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and become thankful, because that's the welcome mat. Today, we're going to take a moment, a moment for each one of us to do that, to just review where's that place you've been anxious or disappointed or um, have said needs improvement or have been worried about. And I'm going to invite you to close your eyes for a few minutes. We're going to have some music playing. And this is mostly about focus, folks, so we don't get distracted by others. And I'd just like you to make room for his peace. Put out the welcome mat. Take a moment. Where do you need to say thanks to him today? Let's do that.
invite you to stand and we're going to pray together. Jesus, thank you for being the Prince of Wholeness. Thank you, Lord, that your wholeness is our identity as well. It's what you are offering us. Wholeness through and through. Wholeness in our spirits today. Wholeness mentally, Lord, in our thought life, in the records that are played over and over in our heads, those loops, Lord. Wholeness in our physical bodies. Wholeness in our emotions, Lord, where there's been ups and downs and crashes and anger and bitterness and disappointment and Lord, deep, deep disappointment for some. Lord, we welcome you, Prince of Peace, into those places in our lives. Lord, we welcome you with our gratitude, gratitude that you came, that you left the the amazing privilege of heaven to live on planet Earth, to live amongst us, a broken people. And yet you never focused on that. You always focused on loving us, accepting us, reaching out to us. So we say thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for love and acceptance and forgiveness. It's just continual. It's just washing over us even right now, Lord. We are swimming in your love for us. We are swimming in an ocean, Lord, of forgiveness. And we can stand with our heads high today because of what you did, Jesus. So thank you for that. Thank you. And Lord, this week, I pray that in the middle of anxious moments, in the middle, Lord, of disappointment, in the middle of things that aren't circumstances that you didn't design, Lord, illnesses in the hosp- and hospitalizations and these kinds of things, Lord, the stuff that's just a result of a broken planet, Lord, we stand in the middle of that. And would you remind us that we can choose to let, to give permission to your peace by choosing to focus on what we have to be thankful for. Lord, we pray right now for the Pruitt family, for Sarah and for Tim and for little Evan. We ask, Lord, that your healing touch would extend from us and the Spirit of God living in us, as you said in the scriptures, Lord, sending help from your sanctuary to this little boy, that his oxygen levels would return to normal, that his pneumonia would clear out, that he would be made whole in his physical body, Lord. And we pray for Sarah and Tim as they pray for their little boy, as they sit there at the hospital. And Lord, we know that your peace is tough. Your peace is resilient. Your peace endures. It cannot be extinguished. And that's the peace we're asking for for that family as they watch their little boy recover, Lord, as they wait for him to recover. And Lord, let us be that church that does that with one another, that we would encourage one another, Lord, to welcome your peace together and to stand with each other so that we're not standing alone. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your peace today. We pray this in Jesus' name.